This is Dance Talk Radio, brought to you by PhiladelphiaDance.org, your one-stop spot for everything dance in Philly. I am your host, Charles Tyson Jr., and I have been looking forward to sitting down with today's guest for a bit of a while. He is a dynamic, creative individual. He is a passionate educator, and he's a really good friend. Michael T. Roberts is in the house. Hi, Michael. How are you? Hey, Charles. How's it going? <laughs> good. Yeah, we have been bandying about the uh, topic of you being on this show for a minute, and finally I was like, well, why am I playing? Let's get it on the calendar. Let's do it. <laughs> I'm, I'm here for it. Let's let's go. Let's, it's Kiki. <laughs> <laughs> so... Good Lord. Okay, I'm going to ask you to do math. How long have we known each other? <laughs> Ooh, uh, math. Um, count to eight and repeat. Um, right. Sorry, that's a terrible, terrible thing to say. Um, it's 2023. Carry the one. <laughs> I'm using my phone actively right now because that's what needs to happen. Um, I don't be 24 knowing. years. Wow. I wasn't years. ready for the number to be that high. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> that tracks, yeah, actually. Yeah, because we met, I think, in 1999. That, okay. That makes the most sense to me at Temple. I was that close to being done at Temple? Wow. You, you okay, were yeah. there for the long haul. I know. It took me seven years to get my four-year degree. And, um... <laughs> Yeah, 99 was my last full year, so you were on your way in as I was on my way out. Okay, that tracks. Mm -hmm. And you were such a little baby-faced diva character. I was a little uh, blonde-haired twink at the time. Yeah, that. That's accurate. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. I, I know your brand. N know your brand. <laughs> <laughs> and, and what moniker would we give ourselves now? Um, now, uh, ooh, uh, if we're, if we're speaking outside of just dancing into like the gay culture, I would be more like daddy cub. Come on, daddy cub. <laughs> daddy cub. Yeah. <laughs> that is now either a stripper or a DJ name. <laughs> no, right? No. So, um, over the years I have seen slash been in some of your work and it is always let's see how can I put this you definitely have a flair for the dramatic <laughs> is that safe to say <laughs> well I'll, I'll take that I guess I would say that I like theater for being theater and theater should be dramatic in my opinion I mean drama comedy that's fair. Let, let's put it on stage. I've never really been interested in watching someone just stand there on the stage. Let's see a little production. I hear you. And now that you said that, that's that's accurate. Yes, your your work is very theatrical. That is a word that fits. Um, the piece, of course, that jumps to my mind, um, the first piece of yours that I was in, your senior project, Right. That was uh, titled Devotion and Division. Yes. And um, that was, that was even still one of my favorite works that I've ever made. Um, yeah. I 
think that with that specific work, I really found the balance of taking what is personal and making finding the universal thread of it mm. and uh, portraying it in a way that anyone could tap into it. Because mm, I've always been very interested in this idea of self-indulgent work. All choreography is self-indulgent in one way or another. And right. yet I think the true art form as a choreographer is really viewing that self-indulgence and finding the universal thread so that it's not just, hey, look at me and what I want to say, but how can the audience be invited in to say, oh, I see myself in that. And that is something that I appreciate very much because, yes, you're right, just by virtue of creating something and putting in front of a state on a stage in front of an audience, there is a big component of self-indulgence there, yes. But even though it's coming from a self-indulgent place, you got to take the audience into account. Otherwise, you know, I've said many, many times, if I'm going to watch someone masturbate on stage, I'm not going to a dance show. True that. Um, <laughs> um, no, I, I completely get that. But I also recognize that sometimes dance is just performance. Like, let's let's call it that what it is, right? Sometimes it's just razzle-dazzle. And I'm here for that. Because right. that gives me all the feels and makes me happy. Um, but going back to Devotion and Division, uh, that specific work, um, that made me feel like a choreographer for the first time. It wasn't my first work, but it made me feel right. like a choreographer. Um, I was very honored to receive my first award for that work. I believe it was the Rose Vernick Compositional Achievement Award from Temple. Oh, and um, okay. actually the best, here's a little T, the best comment I got about that piece was at the time, uh, Dr. Luke Kulik was the chair of Temple. And um, he came to me after the show and he grabbed me and he said, Michael, you just put the graduate students to shame. Yes. And I was like, wait, what? And yeah, that kind of made me feel good. And then that inspired me to then, okay, I'm going to do my first grant now. Mm -hmm. And so I went on that path. Um, and I was happy to get that grant. <laughs> I bet you were. Yeah, it was at the CC. Oh, the, the New Edge. The New Edge, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, devotion and division. That really was that work. Kind of was everything. Because, and I was that the first time we worked together. I believe it was the first time we actively worked together. Yeah. Yeah, and that was you one had long of, curly hair. Yeah, I was like, <laughs> like emaciated thin at that point because I was dancing seven days a week and being paid by no one. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I had long hair, so I was I stood out. <laughs> and um, that was that was definitely a highlight in my career because it was like I was like dancing in a way that I enjoy dancing, doing a movement that resonated with me, and it was from a sensibility that you know, was akin to my own. It was dark. It was pretty. It was theatrical. So I was like, okay, 
this is going this is going to work for me <laughs> yeah well i mean what i really wanted to do with that piece and i think i achieved was being unabashedly upfront with homosexuality right on the get-go um the opening scene of that is me rolling around in a very uh, salacious way with another man um i believe mm. it was um makoto harano yes. yes 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 um and um and then that piece basically was actually based off of um a christmas carol um the idea that i took Ooh. from a christmas carol <laughs> was well, no, you, you get inspired and then you take the idea, right? So um, it was, if you could step outside of yourself and see yourself in the best moments and the worst moments of your life, would you like who you were? That's what I was getting at with that piece. And oh, wow. the way that I filtered that was through my own um, wins and fails romantically as a young gay man. Okay. And so the basic story of that was, abusive gay relationship where strength is found and the victim becomes the 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 survivor as it were right okay yeah so and then the the movement itself was highly physical at the time mm -hmm. i was very interested in how far can you jump how how fast can you run and how hard can you crash onto the floor accurate and i would say movement wise we had definitely postmodern movement a little touch of ballet because i dabble even though i am not in any way affiliated with the ballet world um and a little bit of club in there i would say yeah i don't know a bit mm, i don't know something like that anyway well, one thing I enjoyed, um, and not just in this work, but in um, all of the works that I did, just in general working with you, and I say the same thing about when I worked with Stephen Welsh, that, you know, being inside your movement taught me more about what I physically was capable of doing. You know, I, was, I surprised myself a couple of times in, in working with you. I was like, oh, okay, I can do that. <laughs> I'm going to put really this in my toolbox. <laughs> I really appreciate hearing that, actually, because you don't always hear that from the dancers, right? And I know that as a choreographer, I was always very hard on my dancers. Um, and it was, I've always been a very black and white person. And it was like, we're doing this or we're not doing this. So just, just do it, period. Right. Uh, and so... I know that some of the things I was asking my dancers to do at the time were highly physical and very draining on the body. And yet, I never really took a lot of time to baby my dancers, as it were. I don't think it makes me sound like an asshole, but I knew what I wanted and I knew that I could push people to get what I wanted. Well, I know for me, it was... Um we let me just speak for myself um like i wanted you to have what you wanted so you know when you said i want you to do this running tumbling roll and stand up and then jump this way 
I was just like, okay, well, how can I make this happen for you? You know, it never occurred to me to be like, there was only one time I can think of where you asked us as dancers to do something and we looked at you and said no. And that was when you made uh, the work you set on on Underground Dance Works for Unspoken. And this was like midway through the piece. So we're all standing there sweaty and just like dripping. And you're like, I want you to lick each other. <laughs> And we were like, okay, no, that is not happening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I vaguely remember that, but it tracks. Because um, I'm like, yeah. this is a 13-minute piece. We're at minute number seven. We are not in a place that is lickable right now. No, thank you. <laughs> no, I definitely remember making that piece on Underground Dance Works for um, Unspoken. Um, that was... Um, <laughs> what was that, 06, <laughs> 07, it was in the 2000s. That's what I can tell yeah. you. I had long hair. That's all I remember. Um, no, that was a very good experience. That was, was that the first show we did together? Like just us? Yes. Yes. Okay. Very good. Um, yeah. That was a good um, show. I can't even remember the name of that damn piece. And I should. Oh, well, if you don't know. <laughs> it wasn't her mark here. It was. I'm gonna need to look at my CV. <laughs> I, just, <laughs> I just remember that like it was a lot, like hundreds of little like references and sub references stitched together. Cause like at one point you were like, and you are Tyra Banks being a mannequin model rotating in a window. <laughs> and I'm like, okay. Oh, I love that moment. That is such a beautiful moment. Well, you got a balance, right? You know, because a lot of that work was very highly physical. It was y'all were sweating your bums off. And yet you have that beautiful stillness. But mm -hmm. again, finding the balance between the stillness and the the movement, I think, is what I personally enjoy. And I've always found that giving very pop culture referential images to people really get the job done. Because, okay. I mean we use our brains and we are we are we are children of popular culture so let's reference it and i myself am a walking encyclopedia of pop culture and i'll have the time nobody knows what the hell i'm talking about but right. i like to think uh when um one thing i used to talk about uh when i was lecturing was um uh cultural memory mm. so uh you have because you're raised in a in you know a world with televisions, music, etc., and the film, you are inundated with imagery that you may have no referential point for. However, it stays within you, so you can say something like, um, you know, um, play it, play it off, Sam. You know, like player piano dude from right. like the 1920s, right? Godbill, right? Um, a person who was born in 2000 has no reference point for vaudeville, right? But they may have that reference because they saw it on Family Guy. Right. So it lives in them. So again, this is cultural memory as far as I'm concerned. We have, it's a subconscious memory in my opinion, but we have reference and it's that time when you go, wait, what was the voice that from? I don't, I know I know that, but I don't know why. Right. So I, I've always been fascinated by that. And I like to pull on that because oftentimes yeah. you'll then get a, 
a better version of it. Right. Yeah, so many times, like, there's so many things that are just part of my, the DNA of my personality, like, things that I say um, that, you know, at this point, I just know that I made up. They're just come from me. And then I'll come across a movie that I haven't seen in 20, 30 years. I'm like, oh, that's why I say that. You know, it's these things that make imprints and just become a part of of who and what we are, you know? I completely agree with you. It's now that piece in that show was called Leaving Hope. I remember that was called Leaving Hope. I was in a dark time. That was a dark time for me. I was I think I was fresh after. A breakup. I was going. That through sounds it. right. Yeah, it that was. sounds right. And oh yeah, because I used um, I think I used Depeche Mode in that piece. Oh yeah, that piece you used Depeche Mode. That one piece. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> yeah. Um, you might have used Nine Inch Nails too in that one piece. <laughs> yeah, I did. I mean, there was a, a very well. Nine Inch Nails has always been. I've always I, used a lot of Nine Inch Nails. That's my point. <laughs> well, you know what? Like what you like. <laughs> I am not mad at it. That was always an. That's another one of my favorite things about your work is going into it without knowing a single thing about the work. You know, the music is going to be on point. You know what? Thank you very much. I appreciate that. I taught myself how to edit music at a very young, like when the technology was first becoming available, Mm -hmm. um, like on my, you know, my home IBM or whatever it was, you know, (laughs) back in the dark ages of computers. Um, And I would use these programs that weren't meant for certain things for other things, you know, like I can't reference any, but um, so I I I learned how to, how to, takes take clips of songs and then start weaving them together to make my own soundtracks. And so I very rarely would ever use a full song or full snippets of any songs, but I would, I would take the bass from a song. I would take the the drums from a song. Um, and I figured out how to weave them together to kind of make my own soundtrack because I never really liked the idea of just like, here's my song and this is by a pop artist and you're going to watch me dance to it. I mean, that has its place, right? But that's not what I was necessarily going for. So most of my work, usually the soundtrack has about 100 to 200 actual sound clips making it. Right. And that always worked for me. And yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because there were more than one time when after the performance is over, like... If you let me get a copy of the music, I would just sit and listen to it. <laughs> you know, just just listen to it. Well, thank that's 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 lovely, darling. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think I ever really gave out my music that often. And now that I think about it, it might have been me, and you might have let me listen to it and then give it back. <laughs> I but I was kind of protective of it because I put work into it, and I was like, you know, just like the art, like I. But even though I didn't, you know, play the music, but I edited it and that's a level of the art. And I always found that if you're going to be producing work, it should be to that level. You should have your hands in the costumes. You should have your hands in the lights. You should have your hands in the music. You should have your hands in the movement. Everything. Right. Because it's about, for me, it's about ownership. 
And I love collaborating with people. Collaborating is lovely. But I haven't always been the best with it. I've always Mm. been like, well, I know what I want. So I'm going to figure out how to do it myself. Yeah, we're very alike in that way. I I like to think of myself as an auteur (laughs) who sometimes (laughs) needs other people. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That like, well, it also just commodifies you if you really think about it, because I know I made me did music for other people and I did lights and costumes and stuff. Right. It worked. Make that money. How do you make money as a young dancer? (laughs) By doing everything other than dance, commodify yourself. <laughs> that's yeah. How you do it? Yeah, it's true. I've all, that's why I always tell uh, my young students: it's like you know, make yourself as marketable as possible. You know, be a dancer, but also learn. Like, pay attention to what the stage crew is doing. Like, pick up those skills. Those you always have things you can learn. That's a tool in your toolbox. Hundred percent agree with that. And I think honestly, that's what the tutelage of temple that's what we were learning at the time i agree like we were not being taught how to be the most amazing dancers we were being taught how to be amazing artists that part yes yeah yes i say that all and the time, i'm yes. i'm not poo- i am not poo-pooing on any of the no, technical training at temple because it was amazing but i think that the the vision the the push there was let's create artists right let's or let's foster artists as it were yeah and like i know when we were there particularly when i was there there was this direct uh competition for lack of a better word even though it wasn't at all between temples dance department and you arts because it's like what we have, they don't. What they have, we don't. Da 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 da. And what I came to the, I came to the conclusion that at U Arts at the time, you know, if you're a dance student at U Arts, you come out of there with the ability to dance for anybody. Mm-hmm. If you come out of Temple, you have the ability to be the artist that those people want to dance for. I 100% agree with that statement, and I vividly remember the difference there. I had tons of friends at U Arts, and mm-hmm. we would compare what we were learning and. It was so night and day. It was so night and day. I was not definitely not getting the level of technique that they were getting. They were not getting the level of um, uh, composition and right. important things like anatomy. <laughs> yeah. Like those little important things, you know. Um, I feel as though we were being taught how to have a long-term career in dance as opposed to a hit it and quit it career that yes longevity as opposed to you know the opposite of longevity which is escaping me right now (laughs) (laughs) Uh, well you know Uh, (laughs) less longevity (laughs) well no and and i can say i know for a fact that temple is no is not quite that way any longer um they still focus on the composition, but the push for technical excellence has definitely risen. I, I did admissions there for a while for the dance program, so I know all about it. <laughs> I know that you do. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, here's a question for you. 
do you are you able to go and see work are you able to view work and just enjoy it anymore Hmm, that's a loaded question um like because i know i i have a hard time i feel like i'm a lot harder to impress anymore i think i would say that i flip-flop on it um I do have trouble sitting through work of people that I don't respect. Because what I find is if I'm watching a show and I'm going, well, I would have done that way or I would have done it the other way, then I'm just re-choreographing the piece in my head. And that doesn't quite work for me as an entertainment experience i've done that before i've sat there and like watched a piece and couldn't tell you what was happening on the stage because the entire time i was re-choreographing it in my head yeah like i just or that thing where the minute the minute you stop watching the actual piece and just start looking at the lighting well i do that anyway like well i mean who doesn't (laughs) right but like the minute where you just check out from the actual work and you're like oh right Yeah, but, you know, I don't, I can't always blame that on the work because a lot of times, you know, I do that. I notice lighting and, and things like that as do you, any new theater I go into, like I spend as much time looking up as I do looking at the stage, Mm -hmm. you know, like, yeah, I've stolen so many lighting tricks (laughs) that way. Well, I feel like when you, when you make art, when you make, when you do shows, you, it ruins you as an audience member to a certain degree. I think that's where I was getting at. Yeah. Yeah. The magic is gone. (laughs) You know how the sausage is made. Yeah. When it's your business, when it's your commodity, when it's what your passion is and you've done so much of it, you, it's that whole suspension of disbelief. It's just hard to suspend after a while. So no, I am not a good audience member. Okay. Uh, period. I only at this point will go see people that I highly respect and or if I can read kind of a write up of a show that I think sounds genuinely interesting to me. Right. Okay. Well, like for example, I went to, this is a few years ago at this point, I went to the IABD, the International Association of Blacks and Dance Gala performance. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we're talking about like uh, Cleo Parker Robinson. We're talking about uh, Black Dance Theater. We're talking uh, Urban Bush Women, Danko, and like all of these um, amazing technical dancing is going on on stage and the people around me every time a leg goes in the air you hear yes (laughs) and i'm just sitting there like you know appreciating it because you know this is the real deal these are the people doing the thing so of course i'm enjoying it and then i saw camille brown for the first time and she did this solo 
And there was this moment where she just like, she walked three steps, then shifted her weight and did a roll to the other direction to the floor, popped up and did a gesture. And that's what made me go, yes, work. And it's like, you know, I realized then the things that impress me have shifted, you know? I, I totally get that. And how amazing is it when you can have that a visceral experience? Uh, we're always chasing it, but to have it like, out of the blue is such mm -hmm. an amazing that happened to me um i was working at the new festival uh melanie stewart's new festival in the last mm -hmm. year of it um and i believe the show was at the drake and um the various artists were i was um doing all kinds of behind the scenes stuff there and um that was a crazy summer because i was simultaneously working for melanie on no that wasn't that summer Yes, it was Melanie and Median the same summer, and they were both doing huge shows. But that was later that year. Anyway, um, so I remember there was they were doing a tech rehearsal, um, like a dress rehearsal, and I was in the audience. Uh, I was sitting in the seats, and um, Abby Zibikowski. Mm -hmm. um, I remember Abby from Temple. Of course, we went to undergrad together. She was younger than me, um, right? And I, I kind of. You know how sometimes you think you know what someone does and then you're like, wait, what now? Right. I, mm -hmm. I don't know. I don't know shit. Um, <laughs> I was just, I was watching this work that she did and I had that full body pins and needles, beautiful visceral reaction. And I was like, jaw to the floor, like, what the did you just do? Because <laughs> I was not expecting that. And... I am shooketh. Right. <laughs> I couldn't tell you much about the piece other than they were in like industrial, like almost like prison suits. And there was a live band and it was like punk-esque music. And they were thrashing and falling and running. And it was just so beautiful. Mm. And I still get pins and needles thinking about that moment because it was such a good moment. And I think I had been numb to it for so while, for so long that right. I had that. And I was like, oh, it's still there. <laughs> I love that. I love that. So, yeah. And I can, I can easily name all the shows that have done that for me in the past 20 years because they are few and far between. <laughs> yeah, right. I hear you. Um, what would you say is the craziest thing? that you've seen someone do on stage? Mm, the craziest thing. Well, I, I guess I'll say it's very hard to shock me. So <laughs> I don't know if I've ever been truly shocked. I saw someone get branded live on stage once. Who and where and how? Huh? <laughs> now that wasn't actually a dance performance. That was like a modern art performance um, oh ciao <laughs> and they were singing and while they were singing this tortured love song they got branded and i was like that's commitment that's what that is i hope that was one night only i i believe it was and okay good <laughs> that was really good i can't remember that was sometime in the mid 2000s i'm sorry i do not remember where okay. or who i just remember that moment going like wait what now 
And so that was good. Other than that, I would say, um, you know what? I remember seeing um, moments that I was like, okay, 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 you did that. Um, <laughs> Paul, T- Paul, um, the Duchess. Paul Turner. Yes. I knew um, Paul's name was going to come up at some point. When he did Medea at the Arts Bank, what is it? Medea, Love is the Devil. Yes, Chuck. And he had all the dancers with their breasts out and black tape over their nipples just standing there and shaking mm-hmm. and having their breasts just bounce up and down while he was up on scaffolding or something. Um, I was like, and I think Bjork was playing, like they were doing... <laughs> All of this like, tracks. It was no, it was a live band playing like Bjork, and um, and I was like, okay, okay, they're just putting that out there. It was nothing <laughs> other than just just breast bouncing, and I was like, okay, that's a choice. <laughs> you made a choice there, and I'm here for it. <laughs> I am also a fan of um. Uh, brave choices, shall we say? Brave choices, yes, 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 yes. yes. I would say that, yeah, no, I don't think I've ever been really shocked. I wish I could say I was. Okay. Maybe that says something about my moral fiber, but I don't, (laughs) I just, (laughs) it's more just like, okay, okay, you're doing that, sure. Good for you. Right. Because then I'm like, well, what's the purpose? Why are you doing this? Because doing something for shock value does not interest me at all. Right. I, I could care less about that. What I find, what I'm really enjoying, though, is I'm seeing, um, like, I feel like when I first started making work, doing a lot of overtly gay work was not really the norm. I wasn't seeing a lot of it. Even though there were a lot of LGBT, LGBT as they say, right? Um, People in the field, I wasn't seeing that on stage as much. I wasn't seeing gay stories. I wasn't seeing, I just wasn't seeing it. And um, I feel like now I am starting to, I'm seeing it a lot now. And, you know, and seeing, well, gay sex on stage, like straight up. Um, what's the name? I don't know. Um, one of the people who really inspired me in that way, and I would be remiss if I did not say this name, Mr. Charles Anderson. Yes, Charles. Uh, Charles Anderson, I do count as one of my mentors. I, I would say that I have three mentors in this world. And um, one was Charles Anderson. The second is Marian Soto. And the third is Dr. Kerryama Welsh. Mm. The, those That's three a little people trifecta. <laughs> molded me. Yeah. Well, and it was always kind of funny too, right? I'm this little white boy from Delco. And then my three, I, I you know, black excellence, Puerto Rican excellence. Uh, these yeah. are the people who molded me. Um, and I've never tried to make work like any like any of those people, but their lessons, they they I would say that I'm a walking image of them in in my own way. 
I totally understand that. <laughs> like the bravery, the integrity, the 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 level of uh, expected excellence. Um, yeah, that, I see that. I give you. Uh, that. <laughs> Not that it's mine to give you, but, <laughs> but going back to what I was saying, um, Charles did a show at um, I want to say at the Wilma, um, and um, it was Funky Sweet Body and Soul, um, and it was when he did it on. Uh, I believe there were six beautiful African-American male dancers in their prime, gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous. I can't remember everybody's name, but I do remember um, Star was in it. Oh, wow. Um, El- Elry. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, Michael Velez was in it. Oh, wow. Uh, Rest in power. Yes. Um, and it was overtly gay. It was giving me black queendom in all of its glory and yes. i was here for it uh lucas rivera did the music live dj yeah it was on point and i do remember there was um a review in i think the inquirer i think maybe marilyn did it um that they said that michael velez at one point he just started spinning in this furious way with his locks just going and sweat was flying in the audience. And he at least a hundred, maybe more times, just spinning, spinning, giving, serving. And um, they, in the review, they compared it to um, uh, the famous, um, in, in Swan Lake, Odile's famous fuetes. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, or is it a de- but um they compared it to that and I remember going, That's what that is. Yes. <laughs> Dang it. <laughs> <laughs> Michael Velez. Yeah. yeah. Um, I do think that there is definitely a power in the expression of overt queerness, queer joy, um, queer awareness and sensibility on stage. Um, And you're right, like that was not that prevalent when we were coming up. Like being openly gay was not as prevalent. Well, when we first met, when I was first starting, I was still questioning how much I wanted to put on stage. There was still fear there. Like, will people accept this? Will people watch this? Am I... Also, what purpose am I doing this for? Um, I just remembered. I believe Sammy Ray's was in that piece as well with Charles. Oh, work. Okay. Sammy. Come on, dance, Dream Team. Dancer, dance teacher extraordinaire. Yes. Sammy Ray's genius. Um, <laughs> I love him. I love him. He's wonderful. Who doesn't? <laughs> I know, right? Anyway. <laughs> So since we're taking this trip down memory lane, as we are wont to do, um, you and I have had uh, many discussions about, you know, what dance was like, especially, particularly in Philadelphia, in the 90s, the late 90s, uh, early 2000s. Like, 
because that was a heyday, you know. Yes. Yes. And yes, a heyday. Yes. <laughs> let let's let's paint the picture, shall we? Um, <laughs> so dance. My my perception of dance in that time period, late nineties, early two thousands, was there was a buzz in the city. Mm. Everything was so exciting, and everybody was doing something. Yeah. Um, and it didn't feel very competitive. It just felt like, wow, that's, that person's doing that and I'm doing this and I'll go see this and I'll go see that, whatever. Um, and especially with fringe, you know, anyone who's everyone did fringe. That's right. It was like, are you fringing this year, darling? Yes. (laughs) Um, and I remember just going this is my city this is what we do Mm. and i saw so many amazing artworks in that time period um and uh, well like i remember i saw a a show in in someone's bathroom and i Mm. want to say it was kristen shiverdian in her bathroom in the bathtub i think they sold five tickets. Because like, what else could you do? And I was just like, yes, I'm here for this. Yeah. Lovely, darling. Lovely. Yeah. Um, but of course, I also saw, you know, amazing pieces. I remember a piece that blew my mind by Myra Beisel, um mm-hmm. at the Bride. Uh, I believe Endzone was the name of that one. Oh, Yes. She was taking sports references and bringing it to a whole different Riot Girl place, and I was here for that. Wait, if that's the piece, I there think was scaffolding about, on stage. I think you're mixing two two shows. And I don't think so. The one with the scaffolding, I thought was Trapture. No, I'm pretty sure Endzone. Okay, and I thought it was at the Arts Bank, unless I'm child. Don't go by me. <laughs> you know what? Let's agree to disagree and just say it. Whatever it was called was amazing. Yes, because <laughs> I saw I saw the show you're talking about. <laughs> Whatever it was. <laughs> okay, well, we're not expected to remember everything, right? Can't even remember my own damn work. Um, you know, we carry on. But I know what you're talking about. Yes. But no, so like that time period was just so lovely and i feel like everybody in the community was just inspiring each other yeah it was this beautiful melting pot of all these different viewpoints and uh just making this lovely dish and everybody got a serving it was just delightful (laughs) now metaphor (laughs) i know right sometimes uh but no i there's it was a definite shift though and I feel as though that kind of went away by, let's say, mid to late 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, various reasons for that, I'm sure. Well, for one thing, when you said, you know, it didn't feel very competitive, I feel like a big reason for that is because we were all creating our own lanes. We weren't trying to fit into these already established uh, structures and boxes that were, had been erected by the mid to, to the mid 
2000s, you know, particularly with the fringe, you know, there, we weren't all really going after the same thing. We were all creating our own lane and our own style and our own, you know, oeuvre as it were. Um, yeah. What changed? Well, well, first of all, and I feel like it was a little more dangerous at the time. Cause I remember seeing shows in like warehouses and going, yeah, I'm going to get yeah. tetanus here. Um, uh, <laughs> like, and just various places, just seeing found spaces and dance happening. Yeah. I thought that was lovely. Um, what happened? Um, well, money happened. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> Which is supposed to be a good thing. Yeah. Well, I, there was a clear shift when... Uh, when live arts was created. Right. Yeah. And I suppose I should preface and say live arts is wonderful. I think it's great for what it's done for the city, but there was a clear shift where everybody who used to fringe, it used to be the small people, the new people, plus the established people, the older people, everybody was just kind of doing one thing. Once live arts was created, you could see a clear shift in the more established people all running after that money from live arts and no longer self-starting and making fringe work. Right. And that then became, I want to say a little more cutthroat. It becomes Mm -hmm. a badge of honor to get that live arts grant. Like who are they presenting this year? Oh, that's the cream of the crop. Right. And, audiences i would say started to then go oh well they've selected the best for me so i'm going to go to this right why would i spend my money on this lesser than company right so i think that that was a very clear slide into that and i guess that's my opinion on that (laughs) no i hear you uh yeah, the scene there. Now that I've had a chance to like step back a little bit and and have a little bit of a perspective on it, there was definitely this point where the scene became elitist. I'm just gonna say it, like, and it didn't happen all at once, but it did happen quickly. I feel like. I completely agree with that statement. You have my seal of approval. Um, yeah, elitist. Um, but I'll also say... And not across the some, board, of course. No, some of those people who we would deem as elitist, they deserve it. <laughs> they, also worked, that, though. They, they, they worked for that stature, and they should have that honor. Right. And you know we can rattle off names of who we think those people are. We're probably not going to, but we could. And yeah, let them have that. If they've been doing the work this long, maybe they should be exalted in that way. I just, I guess, luxuriate in the memory of the lack of structure that once was. Mm. Okay. Back then, Fringe was, it was structured, of course, because it's a festival. But 
it was less structured than it is now. Because it wasn't as self-aware yet. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, pick a reality show that's been on for a while. Um, you look at... see. Let's take Drag Race, for example. You look at season nine. It's a machine as oh. opposed to season two where they're still like, they don't know what they're doing yet. <laughs> you know, it's like that. Once you become self-aware, then you have an idea of what a response will be if I do this. So you tailor to that. Mm-hmm. And it's just, I yeah, I agree. There, Of course, the people that deserve to be uh, honored and spot have a spotlight on them deserve that and should that should happen my whole thing is if don't take the spotlight and shine it all on this person and now there's no light over here you know you can afford two lights mm. <laughs> amen amen and preach That's I, all no, I'm saying. I, <laughs> um i will say while that was all going on, though, there was something else happening. There were a few people trying to keep it alive. Hey, look at that. I'm talking to one of them. Um, you with the Etc. series. That yes, was Lord. really the only thing. I, Other than uh, you started Etc. before Kunyang started his inhale, right? Yeah, you did. Yes. Um, so you were doing it far before. I remember the very first time. Was it at the Arts League? Yes. You were like one I of, if not there. the first artist to hit the stage. You <laughs> called me the day before, maybe the day of, and you were like, I'm doing a show. Do you want to be in it? And I was like, I don't have anything to do. You were like, come anyway. I was like, okay, let's do this. <laughs> that sounds right. <laughs> and it was uh, fun. You just, You had this like, quirky improv thing because that was your bag. I did an improv in a long skirt I remember Mm. with my back to the audience like the whole time to Oh Superman by Laurie Anderson. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, Yeah, that that was that. And I remember the audience was afterwards were like, they they thought it was a comedy and I was like, it wasn't meant to be. <laughs> I was like, I'll take that. I'll take it. I'll take it. Um, but no, I vividly remember that. And then, you know, as et cetera grew, that too became a machine. Let's be let's be serious here, right? I mean, yeah. Because it became formulaic. Well, in that, you know, I knew what to expect. Well, because I remember, but, like, maybe by, like, the fourth, fifth, sixth, maybe tenth, I don't know, I was like, I would like to do et cetera. And I called you, I was like, I want to do et cetera. You were like, fill out an application. And I was like, what? <laughs> yeah, that happened. Um, I mean, no, you still so, got got in. <laughs> well, of course it did. But I had to fill out an application. And I was like, I was in the first one. How dare you? Um, and then, Well, you know, if it makes you feel any better, that was totally for record keeping. That was not... Well, Put me in my place. Put me in my place. That's, that's fine. It's humbling. You, that's you just so that me. years years later, I would know what Michael did that day. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I I don't I can't name anything like that happening in the city currently. Um, that hasn't been happening already. Yeah, you do. That's what I mean. Um, yeah, like mm. what? What do we need? We need 
I feel like I'm not trying to sit here and act like there's nothing new happening in dance in the city because that would be a straight up lie. Mm -hmm. There's all kinds of fabulous people who are, you know, having conversations through performance that are needed and that we haven't heard from before. We haven't heard from these diverse populations necessarily as much before. But I feel like there is a shot of energy new energy, newness that the scene needs. And I can't really say what that is because if I did, it wouldn't be new and unexpected. Um, but like, I don't know. Like, I feel like we just need something. Something needs to happen. And something will. It's as simple right. as... Hey, something always happens. Also, we recognize we're getting older, so our taste levels are very locked, and our ability to truly take in the new is lessening. Don't even pretend that it's not. <laughs> Why you got to bring that up? <laughs> I'm just saying is all. Uh, You're not wrong. You're not wrong. <laughs> no, it's true. We, you know, part of the beauty of getting older is you you know what you like, and right. you're not seeking it out as much. Yeah, as artists, we are very very conditioned to to be open to more than most people right but as far as what it will be i don't know but i look forward to seeing it i want right. to see it i i would very much like people to that work that that's been in the back of their head that they're like oh no i shouldn't do that i want to see that work right yeah i think because we're at this place now where, you know, especially young up and coming artists aren't afraid of speaking truth to power, aren't afraid of authenticity. Um, so we have like the playing field is full of these, you know, bright and shining voices who we haven't heard from in like the decade prior. But now that all these conversations are being had, I think there's, as I always say, like in terms of activism, you know, okay, and then what? That. You know? Well, right. I guess I, what I'd like to see is a, a little performance, a little entertainment. Make yeah. me laugh. You know what? It's so easy to make someone cry, but if you can make them laugh, you've got them in your pocket. And if you can do both, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Brush your shoulders off. That's right. <laughs> um, I know that was not verbal, but you know. Um, no, that was. I will be your tell. narrator. <laughs> that was always my tell in my work. Um, right. Did I make anyone cry? Did I make anyone laugh? Ooh, can you do it in the same show? That's talent. Right, right, right. Yeah. So, no, that's what I would like to see. I would like to see just weird, fun entertainment and i'm not yeah. even interested. i don't need to see like the perfect leg i don't need to see the perfect batma you don't need to show me that big leg show me show me some personality and i'm right. happy with that because you know what there's a lot of people that can do an amazing batma you can get that leg up oh you can split good for you okay but what else you got right yeah, yeah i'm not interested like, in the clone the clone of the right. dance and I still love me a good leg, but context is more important now. It's like, okay, what are you doing that's making that leg go up? 
Unless, of course, we are talking like studio situation, in which case, bring me all the licks. Yeah, <laughs> right, 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 right. Because you have to remember, I came, I was a studio baby. I was, uh, I started dancing when I was seven years old, and I was a, at a studio, Kathy Collins School of Dance in Delaware County, Pennsylvania. Um, ooh, from seven through, I think it was there till 19. Is when I left there. Oh, wow. um, okay. So it was a minute that I was there. And when I went to Temple, that's all I knew. I knew jazz, darling. I did yes, jazz so. for my admissions uh, dance. Carrie Alma watched me and she was like, well, I don't want to do her voice, but um, like, you know, <laughs> like, like, well, Michael, uh, we could, it's something to work with. <laughs> Yes. Uh, yes. Yeah, I could honestly say I would never have gotten into Temple University as an 18-year-old little one if it wasn't for the advocacy of Dr. Carolyn Welsh. And she 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 did not let me uh not know that. She told me point blank. She was like, "We're taking a chance on you." <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Lovely." And um, one of the best moments was, I think, I think it was, I think it was that devotion and division circle. Um, she came up to me and she, she basically reminded me of that conversation. And like, oh my God, you know, I, I, I'm, <laughs> please know I'm not making fun of her. Voice. No, it's, it's impossible so to, if you knew mama, you will do her voice. That's mama. just a thing that happens. <laughs> Okay, okay. <laughs> My favorite thing about Mama Kariyama was like, if you are getting the highest of high praise or she is putting you in your place and you are meant to stay in that place, tone of voice, same thing, didn't change. Oh, I never knew. It was so hard. I always mm -hmm. thought of her... Um, uh, uh, Bo and I used to always uh, refer to her as Batman because she would just appear and disappear so quickly. <laughs> and she had, at the one time at the one time at Temple, she had two doors to her office and we think she was in there and then she'd just be gone. We'd be like, oh, heck. Like, it was so crazy. She would appear and disappear. I don't know how she did it. <laughs> I love it. Yes. I love it. I miss her. <laughs> oh. Yeah, me too. Sure, sure, sure. Oh, heavens. <laughs> oh, heavens. Yes, well, my love, this is, I could sit and talk to you for like hours and hours because Lord knows we have. I know, right? <laughs> what did we talk about? Is the question. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about aesthetic. We've talked about inspiration. We've talked about composition versus, uh, versus being a product. We talked about things. Okay. <laughs> well, that works for me. <laughs> so what, um, where are we now? Because I know your your career has shifted a little bit, shall we say. That is 100% true. Um, I am not very affiliated with the dance community these days, to be honest with you. Um, the pandemic took its toll on me, and yeah. um, I... 
I stopped teaching at the universities I was teaching at. Um, and uh, currently, I have a a, diag- a spinal condition that um, is basically not allowing me to dance anymore. Right. So I developed um, cervical stenosis, which is compression of the cervical spine, and uh, myomalacia, which is softening of the spinal cord. So I have lost 85% feeling in my body. So, and I am not telling you this so that you're sad for me because I don't, I'm good actually. I know. Um, And yeah, that's pretty much it. So I'm not really dancing anymore. Now I'm just a glamorous house husband. Um, I like to call myself the gay June Cleaver without the beaver. Yeah, <laughs> and um, and now these days I make videos for social media of all of my uh, life, basically um, cooking, cleaning, floral arranging, you know that sort of thing. Don't really do the dance as much anymore. I still very much keep up with the dance in the world, though. And you're still very much a creative, and that's the one of my favorite things about you, the fact that your creativity was never going to be contained in any one area. And so now you're able to make this shift and highlight the other parts that make you you. And I love that. And, and you know, the same with, with me, like, who knew I was going to be, you know, having any kind of success sitting behind a microphone saying things, you know, we have these different aspects that make us us. And when you shine a light on, on, when you give each of these things sun, they also grow. That is a lovely way to spin it. And I appreciate that. And I also, thought you would like that. <laughs> it totally makes sense that you would be sitting behind a microphone. You've been running your math for years. <laughs> I set myself up for that. <laughs> yes, you did. And I'm here. I love it. It's good. You have the voice for radio, darling. <laughs> and the face too. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> just, just Photoshop that out a little bit. <laughs> just a just a minor touch up, a little little contrast. We're good. <laughs> uh, I do love sitting and talking with you, and you know we don't get to do it as much as I would like anymore. So I'm glad that we had moments like this one. I appreciate you. And I, of course, appreciate you. Um, and we are going to put in the notes to this episode all the places that we can follow you and see your creative exploits. Okay, that sounds great. <laughs> so that uh, we can, you know, keep up with you because you are one to know. Fabulous, darling. <laughs> Thank you, Michael T. Roberts, for sitting and joining me on Dance Talk Radio. Thank you, Charles Tyson Jr. <laughs> this has been Dance Talk Radio, brought to you by PhiladelphiaDance.org, your one-stop spot for everything dance in Philly. If you are a dancer in Philly, or if you love a dancer in Philly, you should consider visiting PhiladelphiaDance.org and clicking on the Become a Member button and taking advantage of all the fabulous benefits that come from being a member of Dance in Philly. Again, I am your host, Charles Tyson Jr. You have a wonderful day.